Welcome to Energy Matters, exploring awakening to your authentic self and finding purpose through mind, body, and soul. With your hosts, Cody Edner and David Gandelman. Brought to you by IntuitiveVision.net and GroundedMind.com. Hey, Energy Matters listeners. Uh, once in a while, Cody and I hit a home run with our guests. Actually, I think we hit a home run almost every time, right, Cody? But Pretty much every time, I would say. Today is a grand slam. We've got, we've got the amazing Alan Cohen on the show. Uh, Alan is an author. He has written 24 books, uh, including his best-selling, The Dragon Doesn't Live Here Anymore, A Deep Breath of Life, and the classic, Are You As Happy As Your Dog? <laughs> uh, he's a contributing writer for the New York Times, best-selling series, Chicken Soup for the Soul. You may have heard of that one. And his books have been translated into 24 languages. He's been featured on Oprah.com, USA Today, The Washington Post, uh, 101 Top Experts. And Alan's radio program called Get Real is broadcast weekly on Hay House Radio. So he's got a lot going on inside and out. And I absolutely love the energy that he brings. He has this very practical, natural wisdom. And he's got a great sense of humor. And he's coming to us from the Big Island of Hawaii, which is where I used to live. So pretty excited about that too. Before we jump into the episode, for those of you who don't know, you can go to energymatterspodcast.com. We've got all of the show episodes there. We also have some links out to some of the new video casts we just started doing. So you can not just listen to the show, you can watch it. And We've got some of our courses up there now, which only took me and Cody like seven years to get up onto a website. <laughs> but uh, we've got our not quite that bad. <laughs> <laughs> not that bad. We've got our intuitive chakra series that we uh, created with dailyom.com up there, our awakening to energy series, and our intuitive training. So um, yeah, it's all up there. We're happy and excited to share it. So with uh, without further ado, Alan Cohen. Hey everyone, welcome to the Energy Matters Podcast. I'm here with my co-host as always, Cody Edner. And we, hey, have a, we have a very special guest today, Alan Cohen. Welcome, Alan. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Calvin. Yeah, it's great to have you. And all the way from the big island of Hawaii, my old stomping grounds. Here we are. <laughs> and um, you, you've been teaching for, for so long. You have 24 inspirational books written I almost don't know anybody who meditates or, or reads spirituality that hasn't heard your name. You've been around the spiritual block, let's say, for a while. And you have, when I hear you speak, Alan, there's just, it's just wisdom and this purity to it that you rarely find. And I love how you, you, you teach through stories. And sometimes I wonder, is Alan just sitting in a cabin in Hawaii reading all of these incredible books like Joseph Campbell and then like the stories come through is it all experience can we start with how did you come into a place of just allowing all of that wisdom to come through was it a struggle did it take a while did you sit in a cabin uh, how did you come about your spiritual path and then begin to express that into the world uh, it was the easiest thing I've ever done 
it took no training, no struggle. It just happened. Um, I have to say, though, that when I was first coming, came to the spiritual path, Ram Das was my mentor. Mm. Oh, wow. And, love. and I studied very closely with him for many years. And uh, his style really influenced me because he tells lots of funny and touching and sometimes self-effacing stories. And so I had a, like one of the best role models it could be. So when I started teaching, I, I didn't try to copy him, but I tried to use the essence of what he did in my own purposes. And it just seemed very natural and it works. And where did you meet him? Through drugs. I'm not you guys were around at that time, but, but uh, it was the 60s and 70s. And so there was a lot of experimentation. And I participated in hallucinogenics, not the thrill or rush or party of it at all. I used to go and meditate by myself. But I was sincerely interested in exploring other dimensions besides mm. the one of people, the only one. And so when I took LSD and other interesting things, I would have these very mystical experiences. I would, I would have these transcendental healing experiences that uh, changed my life infinitely. And so in, at that moment, Ramdas was a bridge between the world of psychedelics and spirituality. So through him, I got into yoga and meditation, and healing and prayer. And of course, you know, at some point I let go of the drugs that was passe. Uh, but he was, he was the transitional element, like the Sherpa, who took me to the next level. Wow. Hey, could we just ask, what, what kind of drugs were you doing? Just LSD and mushrooms or? Yeah, just LSD and mushrooms and pot. That was that was basically it. I never tried anything really weird. Just a, you know, and then, and then there came like a certain point where you realized like I don't need these substances anymore to get that. Yeah, yeah. I had some great experience. I always had positive experiences. You know, I never had a bad trip. I had moments, but um, and then as I started, I met another teacher named Hilda Charlton that Ron Dust also studied with in New York. And through practicing meditation and prayer and yoga and karma yoga, um, I got lighter and lighter and lighter. And after a while, the drugs seemed heavier and heavier and heavier. Mm. And at one point, the voice said, that's it. You know, you don't need this anymore. And I, I just, it just was a natural letting go. And the, sna- the skin fell off the snake, and I was on to the next thing. How old were you when that happened? I was just going to ask Mid-20s. Yeah. Or actually, what I wanted to ask is, because you, you just said you kind of went into the drugs to for expanded dimensions and, and maybe a foundation of interest in spirituality. When did that start? When, like, for for me, I was about fourteen when I really kind of awoke to spiritual dimensions. I think David was a teenager, and I'm wondering, like, when did that maybe first inklings of awakening happen for you? Well, it's always been an element, uh, but I'll tell you two moments that were pivotal for me. Um, When I was, I don't know, five, six, or seven, I had a dream. And uh, I don't know if you guys are old enough to remember Howdy Doody. Do you remember Howdy Doody? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, By three reruns, I must say. (laughs) (laughs) Just to qualify Well, Howdy Doody is a popular kids show on that day, and... um, Anyway, I had a dream, and in this dream, I looked under my bed, which is often a scary place for kids. But I looked under my bed, and there was like a, like a room, for lack of a better word, 
with had, which had illuminated pictures of mystical people. I don't know who they were, but one of them was Clarabelle, who was uh, the clown on Howdy Doody. <laughs> and I don't know how he got in there, but <laughs> the whole experience was about seeing into another dimension. Like I really felt like I was seeing beyond this world through these images, cartoon images of, of some other world. And that was, I, I, that was pivotal for me. It was like, you know, you go up in the world and you get mucked up in the thickness and heaviness of the world. And I think that was spirit's way of showing me at the age of five that, you know, there's still a connection to this other portal. And even though you may go through some weird experiences, it's there. Mm. Like, you know, you're not totally lost. And then um, when I was 14, I had just finished my bar mitzvah and I swore I would never go to a temple again. Um, but the next year I received, and when I was 14, I received an invitation on a postcard from the temple saying there was a youth brunch and I was invited. And fellas, there was no reason on the planet I would ever do that. Like my intellect said, this is the most ridiculous thing. But something inside me said, just go. And I was just listening to Bill Bennett's interview with you guys. Yes. Oh, yeah. yeah. Fabulous, fabulous. What a great book, a great interview, a, a great movie, great interview. <laughs> anyway, something said, just go to this brunch. And I went to this brunch, and there was a young rabbi there who was the youth director. And he gave an impassioned speech about love and healing and God. It was so sincere and so authentic and so from his heart that it won me. Like this was the first guy I ever met who I called a healed relationship with God. And so I joined the youth group and I became the president and he became my big brother like for seven years. And he wow. exerted this amazingly positive, loving influence on me at a pivotal time. I was living in a horrible section of the and he, he was like my, I know I have a bad connection from Hawaii, sorry guys. Um, okay. That's all right. That goes in and out, sorry about that. Um, but he was, he was like a guiding light, like a saving grace that guided me through my turbulent teen years and set my foundation on a healthy spiritual path. I gave up Judaism after a while when I started taking drugs, but that's another story. <laughs> but, but, you know, you could see how each of these teachings and teachers showed up at the most precious, pregnant, pivotal time that I had grace. I mean, my life has been so filled with grace that I can't even explain. And those were several forms of grace that I experienced. I did not have that experience after my bar mitzvah. <laughs> I took that money and bought a computer. Uh, of course you would. Of course you would. <laughs> Very practical thing to do. <laughs> what inspires you now, Alan? I mean, uh, after writing all of these books and teaching for so many years, do you still wake up every morning just going, yeah, I'm, I'm still inspired? Or what, what is it that kind of essentially gets you up in the morning, gets you excited every day? Yeah, thank you. Good question. Um, well, literally, my dogs get me up. We have five dogs, and they <laughs> run into my bed and start kissing me, which is the best way to wake up in the world, actually. So uh, I get up for them, and I have a lovely partner that we have a great relationship, and nature inspires me, living in a beautiful nature spot. But I'll tell you more fundamentally, fellas, 
um, kindness inspires me. Um, you know, you, we, you and I have all been around the spiritual block quite a bit. And we've seen all the out there stuff and all the methods and all the techniques. <laughs> and, and I read a quote by Abraham Joshua Heschel, a great theologian. He said, when I was a young man, I was inspired by people who were clever. Now that I'm an old man, I'm inspired by people who are kind. Mm-hmm. Love that. To me, that's when I see people coming from the heart and serving and being kind, and it's like, okay, that's what we're for. So that, that's what inspires me. Because it's seen as, a lot of times, kindness is seen as a weakness. Yeah, yeah not to me. Yeah, it is for lots of people. But, um, you know, I just finished a book called The Tao Made Easy. And Lao Tzu said that true leaders lead with humility and kindness. Everything else is ego. Mm-hmm. Love that. Um, I'm just taking it in before I ask another question. <laughs> I have all these questions written out for you, Alan. I'm like, I don't even want to ask them. I just want to ask what you're up to and what inspires you. Um, one of the things I, I do want to ask about, though, is A Course in Miracles, because you... you you have a course on A Course in Miracles, a course about the course. And I have picked up A Course in Miracles over the years many times. And it's, for me, what I found, and for those listening, if you don't know what it is, um, maybe Alan, you could share with us in a moment. But every time I've picked it up, Alan, I've read like a page or two. And like, that's enough for like a year. <laughs> uh, and it's a, quite a big a big book. Can you just kind of go over for our audience a bit what The Course in Miracles is and kind of what angle you teach from about it um, and kind of how you help people understand it. The Course is a rare and magnificent spiritual document that was channeled back in the 70s by a resistant psychologist. Uh, It's written in the voice of Jesus Christ, although it's not the religious Jesus, it's the spiritual Jesus. And this particular channel was a uh, cynical atheist Jewish psychologist. <laughs> she was the most <laughs> unlikely candidate. But, you know, in retrospect, we realized she had a sole contract. To do this Didn't she kind of never truly believe it quite? Just, yeah. just kind of came through and it happened and she yeah. never could like totally sell her own book, so to speak. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> she said a strange, strange thing. She said, I know it's true, I just don't believe it. Yeah. And she, she didn't practice it like other people do, but her role was to describe it, which she fulfilled. Wow. Yeah. I probably would have ended up an atheist, skeptical psychologist like that if I hadn't moved to Hawaii. <laughs> <laughs> Jewish yeah. East Coast. You would have been a philosopher, yeah. an atheist, skeptical philosopher. That's right. That's right. And so can well, you give us a bit of that teaching of it? Alan. Yeah, well, the book, the book came over seven years, and um, it ended up being a text, a workbook, and a manual for teachers. In essence, it says basically that every moment of our life, thought, word, and deed, is a choice between fear and love. And fear will never take us where we want to go, and love will always take us where we want to go. Where we want to go. And there's a line in the text that says, only the creations of light are real. 
everything else is your own nightmare. So what the Course does through 365 lessons, one for each day of the year, is it methodically, brilliantly deconstructs our belief system that separate us from wisdom and love. And it shows us the folly of the ego and gradually inserts the wisdom of the spirit. So gradually we shift our faith from fear to love, from ego to spirit. And it's a steep path because it really confronts the ego. And it tells us that many of the things we believe are just not so, and that's why we suffer. So it does take determination, it does take dedication. But if you can play with it for long enough, you know, you get, you get it, it starts to work. You know, in, in those types of teachings, Alan, um, love is kind of a sticky word. It's probably one of the more loaded words we have with connotations. Yeah. And um, so many times the, the question is just for, for many people is, well, what is love? Because I've been hurt by love. People have used love to manipulate me and to control me. But yeah. when we speak of spiritual love, how would you, or the love that is, uh, you know, on that path, how would you articulate that or describe that? Well, it's a great question, Cody, because most of the time we say I love, and it's an ego love, it's a selfish mm -hmm. love, it's a narcissistic love. And this is why there's so many divorces, because people think they're in love and they're not. So that's another program, isn't it? <laughs> I actually had a question about that for later. Yeah. But anyway, um, you know, when I'm in love, I feel like I'm home. And I feel like all my needs are met from the inside out. And I'm not looking to anyone else for validation or affirmation or I don't see myself as a black hole that needs to be filled in. I see myself as a light that needs to be shined. So, you know, it is a big load of word. As far as I can tell, love is the essence of who we are. It's what we're doing here. It's the only thing that makes our life worthwhile. And there's a place inside of each of us that really knows what love is. And when we drop into it, we know it's real. And until then, that's all we're searching for. Mm. Uh, and I like the way you just said when you're in love, because when people use that phrase, or every time I've ever heard that phrase, it always means with something else. But when you said it, I just realized you meant a space or a connection you have in yourself when you're in that love. And that's the thing we're looking for. Yeah. It's a state of consciousness. When you, when you see through the eyes of love, everything is lovable. Oh. When you see through the eyes of fear, everything is scary. So, you know, we all flip back and, back and forth many times a day between the, vision, the lens of love and the lens of fear. And that's, that's what the spiritual path is. And so, Alan, for those listening who maybe are like, well, there's a lot of times throughout the day where I, I feel everything but love, frustration yeah. or anger, depression, yeah. different forms of pain. How do I use the Course in Miracle teachings or, or Alan's teachings to start to yeah. shift that energy, start to shift out of that consciousness? Well, the, the first thing to notice is that you don't feel good. That when you're angry or afraid or resentful, you start to contract and it's like a bad, 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 bad feeling. And you have to admit that what you're doing in this current moment is not working. 
Mm -hmm. uh, until you get to the point where you could say, I don't feel good and I want something else, you're just going to go in circles. So the second step would be to say, well, I do this in my coaching with my clients all the time. I say, what does the voice of fear say to you? And they lay it out. And I say, what by alternative would the voice of love say? Even if you could just have a little thread of connection to the voice of love, what would that say? And they tell me. And I ask them, now which feels better? And of course, the love always feels better. So then I would work with them to ask them, what can you do in your own consciousness or activity that can help you amplify that experience of love and decrease the experience of fear? And each of us has something we know how to do that lifts us. It could be meditating, yoga, playing with your dog, or walking in the woods, and guitar. But whatever you do, that vibration, even the least, is bringing you closer to love. So I'm a very simple teacher. I, you know, I'm not telling people to go to Himalayas. Say, pick up a guitar. You know, I, I, I tell people, I don't tell people to go to the Himalayas. I just pick up a guitar, write in your journal, or go out to dinner with a friend. Do what nurtures your soul. And when your soul is nurtured, you reestablish your connection to spirit. It's pretty simple as far as I can tell. But we've got to practice. You to practice. Right. I love, well, I did go to the Himalayas and uh, it didn't work. <laughs> a little bit. It, it got me going. It got me going. Let's hear what happened. I know you're interviewing me, but I want to hear what, sure. what was that experience for you and what, uh, what shifted for you. Yeah. So I went, I lived there for a year, about a year uh, in an ashram and uh, practicing Vedanta and different forms of yoga and uh, drinking mango lassies and talking highfalutin philosophy with other wow. travelers, wow. all of that good jazz. Um, and I actually would carry, I was guru obsessed when I was like 23 uh-huh. and when I was in India. So I literally had an entire like stack, almost like of like playing cards of gurus uh, in my pocket. I would walk around with them like Neem Karoli Baba, uh, uh, Shivananda, Yogananda, Muktananda, you know, name the Ananda. <laughs> I had that Ananda in my pocket. And uh, I was just, yeah, obsessed with masters and gurus and hiking Great. the Himalayas to meet them. Uh, and so what I think what happened, you know, where I grew from that was I realized, well, I'm giving all my power energy away to these guys who always tend to have a beard it's kind of weird that they're all have that in common, or most of them, uh, that they all have my answers. And that I'm like, not good enough. I don't know enough yet. Um, I'll, I'll never be like them. I have to sit at their feet. Um, and I guess I think I honestly just over time gradually grew out of it. It wasn't like one moment. It was just like over time I realized as I started to grow up and teach, I realized, oh, I have more and more of my own answers. And so I, I kind of developed... Uh, Eventually, put the playing cards away. <laughs> so, and I went to Hawaii. Healthy evolution, yeah. Good yeah, like a, and kind of felt like a natural evolution. Yeah. So, not everyone obviously needs to go do that. I mean, it, kind of the Beatles went there. <laughs> I lived like one ashram down from where the Beatles used to live, but I didn't write any good music uh, at the time or since then. Forever. <laughs> Forever. Not yet. Well, you know, that's why guru is spelled G or U. That's right. That um, I heard you once say that Mike Myers stole that from you for his movie, the uh, 
the love guru, but that you yeah, saw yeah, that from yeah. someone else. <laughs> uh, I forget. I, I didn't invent it. <laughs> <laughs> he also has another one where he would say, intimacy, into me, I see. Yeah, yeah. That's a good stuff, too. So on that note of, like, the whole guru thing, and the kind of, I'm sure there are a lot of people who see you as their guru, and they say, Alan Cohn is my guru. I, he has all my answers, and I'm going to listen to the end of this podcast until he gives them to me. <laughs> but uh, on a serious note, um, how do you take that kind of attention? And how do you, uh, yeah, what do you do with that? And, and how do you point people back to themselves? I, I, I accept none of it and put it all back on the client or the student. Um, when I first started having my books come out, I started getting letters like that. And I also got soulmate letters. You can't imagine the number of women when <laughs> <laughs> they were to marry a gentle Jewish author from Hawaii. They take it all after a while. <laughs> and and what happened was at first I was um, attracted to it, and I would um, I would engage with these people and communicate with them. And then something would always happen without fail. At some point, they would get angry with me. And they would say, you're not who you said you were. Mm. And I would say, well, I never said I was that. You made up a story about me. <laughs> and I realized that whenever anybody gave their power to me, it was dangerous for them mm. and it was dangerous for me. Mm. And I read a quote said, um, it only takes a short fall for a halo to become a noose. Wow. And uh, I said, that's it. I'm out of here. For a halo so, to um, become a noose. I like yeah. that. That's... And, uh, you know, I've seen too many leaders fall under ego of accepting that kind of adoration. And so I, I have none of it. It's like, a, hey, maybe I am perfectly enlightened. What do you know? It, it seems to be a learning curve, though, as a teacher, because it, it is nice to get validated and recognized. But you do have to kind of grow out of it, well, I think. We all are. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then I'm sure on the other end of it, too, Alan, criticism. Uh, people maybe not right. liking your message or especially with something like Course in Miracles where if it does have a bit of Christian undertone to it so yeah. I'm sure people upset some people yeah I've gotten um, better at discerning between accurate criticism and ego based criticism oh. um, like I remember once I taught at Omega Institute years ago and I was a weekend with treat and afterward this lady sent me a long letter with all the things I did wrong like you know <laughs> and I read I thought could I really have messed up <laughs> so many different ways and I realized she was just on it you know and I I didn't respond she was just stuck in ego and then you know like a year later I had a book come out that was successful and I kind of pumped it up in my newsletter and this fellow uh, sent me an email saying, you know, Alan, I really like your work, but it sounded like you were kind of self, what's the word? You're patting yourself on the back quite a bit in that newsletter. Kind of <laughs> and I realized he was right. You know, this was, this was healthy criticism. So, um, 
And I still don't like it if anybody says anything bad about me. Like if I get a bad view, I go, yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm fine. <laughs> yeah. um, but those people are not conscious at all anyway, so I don't take this. <laughs> <laughs> Their consciousness is below yours. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. That's right. They're, They're just like the consciously. They should meet somebody else anyway. Oh. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, but I'm, I'm getting better and better at kind of feeling where the person is coming from and trying criticism on for size. And then I ask spirit, the Course in Miracles says, if you're not sure what to do, ask spirit and say, please show me the truth about this. You know, what am I to do about this? And I'm getting better at asking spirit. And usually spirit will tell me, no, this is not valid. This is. And that, that seems to work for me. Mm. So you almost like intuitively look at each criticism and, and just see if. Read it a little bit. Yeah. I like yeah. that. And I guess there is there is a difference in the energy of through ego. It's probably more like an attack versus true yeah. criticism. It's more like feedback, right? It, it's yeah, like yeah. you can just go oh and think about it and not feel that yeah that kind of charge. Like thank you, you know. Usually, somebody with a healthy criticism will say, "Well, I really like your work," and mm. you know, so they're, they're right. healthy enough to sandwich the negative feedback with some support. And that, to me, that feels like a healthy form of communication. Mm. They're not tweeting at you, sad. (laughs) (laughs) Somebody, somebody wrote about my Course in Miracles book on Amazon that obviously Satan had inspired this book. So (laughs) 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 that's your statement is bringing it on to yourself as healing. Oh, goodness. (laughs) Wow, 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 wow. Uh, I heard you also, Alan, talk about um, what you call like reality. I think it was reality bubbles. Yeah, yeah. And you give this kind of metaphor. It's um, I'm a Trekkie, so you kind of use my favorite metaphor of the holodeck. Can you explain a little bit to us about that metaphor and what you mean by our own reality bubbles? Well, that's a great question, isn't it? Um, People say you create your own reality, which is a half-truth because reality has already been created nice, quite nicely, thank you very much, and God doesn't need to help <laughs> to create it. You know, reality is what it is. What we do do is we create our own experience of reality by the thoughts we think and the vision we use. So you may say there's one thing called reality on planet Earth, but really there's 7 billion different realities, some of which overlap. So it's possible for many people to be agreeing to one reality, such as an economic reality, but if you choose not to join that reality, you have the power to create an entirely different reality that confirms itself in your experience. An example, I don't know if you saw the story, but it was the dregs of the recession post 2008. And um, I ran into my friend's realtor And at that time, real estate was in the toilet. Like, you know, half the realtors in Maui were um, letting go of their licenses because nothing was moving. They were surf instructors. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Massage therapists. Massage therapists. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, massaging all the other realtors who lost their job. Oh, you froze for a moment. You froze there. I just sold a $20 oh, million dollar beach in the state. I sold a 
$23 million beat, oh, sorry, I know it goes again, I'll slide over. And my friend said, um, I just sold a $23 million beachfront estate. I said, how'd you do that? She said, well, I knew a guy wanted to sell it. I thought this guy might want to buy it and they put their hands together and they made the deal. And to me, there were $23 million estates going around, even while most people were struggling and, and almost starving financially. But she lived in this consciousness of enoughness and abundance and people wanting to make deals and availability. And she thrived through that recession like no one else did. Now, she was subject to the same economic factors that everyone else was, the same stock market crashed and blah, 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 blah. But she was not willing to join that in that agreement that there's lack. And so she proved it by demonstrating abundance in her world and the world of people she touched. So, so it's like, and I've heard you say, it's like, it's not, there's not one economy, right? Yeah. There's everyone's each almost psychological yeah. economy. Yeah, there's always people who thrive in a horrible economy, and there's always people who tank in a great economy. So you can't blame the economy on your economic situation. You have to look only to your own consciousness, which is the only source of our experience. So it's an inside-out job. Yeah, it's so easy to match the energy of like that mass hysteria or mass fear. Hold on, I'm going to turn Fox News off. Hold on. <laughs> Very good. Um, so Cody and I, we spend a lot of our time, uh, well, twiddling our thumbs, but other than that, we also spend a lot of our time, uh, teaching about, uh, intuitive tools, meditation tools. And so we, we kind of work in that realm of energy work a lot. And, uh, we wanted to know, at least I want to know like what your experience with kind of the intuitive spaces, that energy awareness space. And do you, teach your students, clients, how to open up to that space? And how do you go about that? Yeah, big time. Thank you. Uh, well, I always say that meditation and prayer or some spiritual practice like yoga, tai chi, those all are beautifully designed to line us up and achieve what Abraham would call vibrational resonance with higher power. So those official things always work. And you know, whatever form works for each of us is appropriate. There's a million forms of meditation. Each of them works if it, if it works for you. However, um, I also tell people that simply doing anything that increases your joy is a form of prayer. And so you may not want to be a meditator, but you may like to dance. You may like to do art. So I encourage people to relax and play and step back from anything that feels like a struggle, even momentarily, and ask the voice of joy, where would you have me go at this moment of this day? And when you can really do that, that's, that's the space of miracles. And it says in the Course in Miracles that all that's required for a miracle is a tiny willingness. So if you could just step away from the computer and say, I'm, I'm fried, this isn't working, I'm going to take a walk in the park, that little willingness starts to open you, the vortex will say, and suddenly you become available to intuitive guidance that you would not have been available to if you were busy hacking away at trying to get your website done. Maybe, you know, come back tomorrow and do the website, but I tell my students if it's a struggle, it's not it. That struggle is not required by God. It's the ego's plaything, a struggle, not God's. So stepping out of that resistance kind of opens that intuitive space. Yeah, yeah. I like that. 
And I know that you're both into mediumship and healing. And there's something I always tell my clients who've lost a loved one. I have a radio show, people call into it and coach a lot of people outside the show. And a lot of them will say, I've lost this loved one. And I, you know this already, but maybe our audience is like, yeah, I've lost a loved one and um, I'm grieving and how I'm asking for guidance and I'm looking for signs and I'm not getting anything. And are they really here and are they gone forever? And I say, you know, that grieving and upset and regret and density and guilt, they're all very heavy vibrations. And when you're stuck, it's like there was one um, Star Trek episode where one of the, one of the uh, officers was stuck in this dense vibrational field and some helper couldn't get to him because he had this, this dark force field around him. I couldn't see him. Yeah, yeah. He was like blind. He was blinded to them and they were blinded to him. Yes. Yeah. cloud around him. Yeah. And I say, you know, people in spirit um, function as a very light vibration. And they cannot pierce Yes. So if you really want to connect, you have to do something to your vibration a little bit. Right when you said that the vibration of our Zoom connection. You talk about uh, spirit. It's, it's it just Hawaiian. Went, yeah, it's Hawaiian, Hawaiian Akua. Yeah. Anyway. Um, can anyway, you just say that one spirit, more time? Yeah. Spirit function, people in spirit function at a very pure, defined, subtle level. And they, they could be trying to get through to you, but if you're busy twirling around this very dense vortex, you're not going to receive the message. So I say, breathe as much as you need to, but as soon as you can, reinstill your joy voice. You know, anything you can do to raise your vibration will make you more accessible to them and them to you. And you can actually have conversations with them, or they come to you in dreams, they can come to visions or whatever. And that's the way to reconnect with somebody's spirit is by matching their energy rather than expecting them to come down into dense vibration. They're happy to be out of the density of Earth. I assure you, they don't want to, get, they don't want to come yes. back and be quicker than me. So you might have to make an effort to meet them where they stand. Mm. Yeah. I like and, the way you put that. And in mediumship, we teach a similar thing. You kind of have to meet in the middle, right? They can't come all the way down to the physical vibration that we live in and um, you know, we have to kind of go up kind of halfway, so to speak, but somewhere to a higher frequency. Yeah. Mm, you know, Alan, you've been doing this so long, you have seen kind of the evolution of an awakening that's happening. You know, I, I mean, I, I kind of have a little bit too. I started in 1984. And, um, you know, when I started teaching, I think I started teaching in the later 80s, but you know, people would come in and, and this idea of meditation or energy was like very new to them. And, uh, you know, I might ask a group of people, how many of you have heard of being grounded and maybe nobody or one person? Now, of course, everybody says, oh, yeah, I know that. Let's get to the real stuff type thing. You know, it's like some of these very simple foundational um, things seem to get lost very often in this seeking for like higher energy levels or enlightenment and and of course my philosophy is it's more about getting back into ourselves and um not ascending but de descending in a way into the reality of what we're creating in, in the world um but what would your advice be for someone you know kind of just opening up and all these things are out there to do 
how does someone kind of find a good focal point, a good starting point, and an easy kind of move step by step forward in something, you know, in some awareness raising thing? Well, it's unique to each person because we all have our own unique path. And so, you know, I would ask the clients, what works for you? You know, what, what do you feel drawn to do? And they might say, oh, I have these three teachers. And I'm not sure which one to study. They'll say, which one resonates? It just, you know, I say, it's a lot simpler than you think it is. Like, mm-hmm. who speaks to your heart? Who works for you? You know, if you can just peel away all this intellectual stuff, what would you like to do of the three meetings you've been invited to? Which one do you feel like going to? And in that moment, I'm actually training them to exercise their intuition, which will take them to the right teacher who will train them to exercise intuition and one thing will the next. So, so um, you know, you, you, have to, you have to trust your gut. Um, uh, Goethe said, the German philosopher said, when you finally trust yourself, you will know how to live. Mm. I love that. I like now that. That's as good as the beginning of the spiritual path as it is the end of the spiritual path. <laughs> and there's a, there's another quote, Alan, that I heard you say. Um, well, it was a story that someone asked a shaman, how can I be more like you? How does it go? Yeah, friend was studying with a shaman. She says, how, how can I be more like you? He says, um, the way to be more like me is to be more like you. <laughs> That's it. Yeah. In other words, I, I, you, I'm not teaching you to copy me. I'm teaching you to, to express yourself. So yeah. the, the worst teachers inculcate dependence. Mm. And they, they, they weaken people by making them feel they need the teacher. Mm. The best teachers inculcate independence and they want the students to grow their own wings and fly out of the nest and find the guru within. And that's how I evaluate a good teacher from a bad one. Mm, I love that. Um, and so you still work one-on-one with clients that, and, and counsel. It's yeah, amazing. Yeah. Is there a, a theme or a couple themes that you notice that have been kind of playing out with your clients that they've been working on that you've been helping them with? Is there something kind of been coming through lately? Well, universally, it seems like self-love and self-acceptance. Oh, we got a frozen moment, frozen yogurt moment. <laughs> we'll let you know when, when we can hear you again because it's... Oh, uh, let's wait a moment. It'll, the, uh, the cloud will pass. <laughs> I'm back. There we go. You're back. You're back. Um. A lot of the people I coach doubt themselves and they want to be a healer or a stockbroker or anything. And I just say, you know, what would you be doing differently if you really believed in yourself? And I validate them and I say, you know, the world is such a is in such a weird condition these days that anybody who is offering any kind of healing service sincerely is needed and will serve and will succeed. So I said, don't wait until you're a perfect teacher to teach because you, there's no teacher that's perfect. Mm. So you, you become more and more perfect by practicing starting right where you are. Mm. And that seems to give people a lot of confidence. And I do a life coach training and most of the students, they have an intake interview and I ask them, what is your fear? And they say, well, who am I to coach? Now, why would anybody pay me to coach? I'm still working on my own stuff. I, 
I have my own shadow self. And I say, that does not matter. I say, do not use that as an excuse not to step forward. I say, everybody has a shadow self. And I tell them stories about the top gurus and teachers and authors and masters and motivational speakers that I see in green rooms at lectures. And I see their dysfunctions and screw-ups and their egotisticalness and their hypocrisy. And I'm not saying this to put them down. I'm saying that we all have this dark side. And the people who move ahead even with the dark side have a way of helping. Hopefully, they're still working on the dark side as they're progressing. But if you wait until you're perfect, you're never going to do it. So, so just mm. start. If you're sincere... Spirit will sort everything out for you. You know, you know the law of attraction will, will line things up for you. As long as you come from that sincerity. Yeah. So just tell yeah. us which ones are, are, the, are the real dark ones in the green ones. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but, you know, even, even the dark ones help, you know, because I see people who have major egos. Uh, not that we don't have major egos, but, but, you know, in their moments of clarity and purpose and intention, they really help people. And mm. lots of times it's been their own ego that has motivated him to grow and discover where the light is. And when they pass with the light, pass the light along, then they're in integrity. So, you know, we can't fault anybody for having an ego because we all do. So mm. we just have to take the best and leave the rest. Right. Take the best and leave the rest. Yeah. And we're all human. I mean, I think that's what that comes down to. And there's, there can be this kind of imagination, which it's what puts you on a pedestal and then gets mad at you is that somehow we rise above that and we become perfect if we yeah. say we're spiritual. And um, I think coming to a place to be able to accept our humanity and our yeah. faults and create positivity regardless of that is the whole point anyway. So Beautifully stated. Yeah, we're all abysmally human and we're all fine and those two run side by side and the more we can do to amplify the divine and actually work the human into it. You know, like even right. our, even our human, someone once said what's in the way is the way. Mm. And so when we start to address our human flaws and a either correct them or b come to peace with them, then we're really making spiritual progress far more than just meditating. And like we've just seen Jesus when all you've seen is your own vision and not, not really Jesus. So, um, yeah. You know, you have to, it has to be worked from the ground up. We have to integrate heaven and earth. That's our, that's our game these days. Can I ask you, Alan, about uh, writing? So first of all, how uh, did you write 24 books? <laughs> That'd be the first question. And the second is, um, when, you, when you sit down to create content, to, to write something, do you have a process? Is it like this systematic way that you write a book and, and tap into that inspiration? Or is it different every time? Um, what does that process look like? Um, it's a prayer. I say a prayer before, and something like, I invite the highest source to deliver the highest material through the purest channel to the audience that can most benefit to bring mm. the blessing to the world and to support me in the process. Mm. I love so that. that. That's my general prayer. And then I open and it floods. I don't consider myself an author. I consider myself a recording secretary. And <laughs> that the book is already written in spirit. And it's my job to be as pure a channel as I can to bring that book to earth 
the highest purpose for the most people. So it's more like an editing, massaging process than a creation process. It's a co-creation. Spirit is using my personality and my repertoire to send good ideas, and I work them into my belief system and, and send it out to the world, the co-creation. It almost sounds like a conversation with God. Yeah, I, I don't hear specific voices, but I get ideas. And, um, you know, I, it's like one seed idea drops into my brain, and then it's my job to flesh it out in as interesting mm-hmm. way as possible. Mm. And do you have more coming? Endless, infinite. (laughs) (laughs) Your publisher will be happy about to hear that. Yeah. (laughs) So, Alan, in all of these different books and teachings, or just in your own philosophy, like what would be a real simple statement about what you hope to impart to the world? Has has that grown and changed over the years? And is there different focuses that you've had, or has it always been just something in your heart that's just core? that everything else revolves around? Is, is there some kind of central energy or idea? There's a, there's a core idea that love works mm-hmm. and that we love each other and love ourselves. We're lined up with spirit and everything unfolds naturally from that. However, I've become more and more confident in that and I go to deeper and more subtle levels of it and I find new ways to say it and you know, there's nothing new about my message, but I think I'm becoming more sophisticated, shall we say, in delivering it mm, and finding yeah. new and interesting ways to say it so that, you know, more people get it. I think I'm, 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 I'm able to read the masses more than I used to. I used to write more for, for more of an esoteric crowd, but as I right. become more grounded in my own life, I'm finding better ways to say it so more people will receive it. Oh, I love that. Wow. Uh, do you... Uh, do you have a specific meditation practice or spiritual practice that you do every day? Yeah, I, um, I, it varies. I, I absorb light. I sit and I imagine that there's a healing energy that wants to come to me and I do my best to open my pores and receive it. Mm. And at other times, I visualize that light as being inside me wanting to get out. <laughs> And so oh, nice. it depends on the kind of mood that I'm in. <laughs> um, in or out. <laughs> you know, they both work. I, I think the in, inside to out really is the truth, closer to the truth. <laughs> mm-hmm. But when I don't feel it's in me, then it's appropriate to invite it to come in. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes I do mantra like Om Mani Padme Hum or somewhere, Gati Gati Padigati Padasamgati Bodhisvaha, you know, some ancient mantras. So I find that sometimes... Uh, a mantra will kind of, I have a very busy mind. And so that focus on a mantra really brings my mind to one point and it takes all the distracting thoughts away. Hmm. Is your, you think your mind is busy because you're such a creator and there's always that next? No, I think it's because I was trained as a neurotic Jew and I just. <laughs> <laughs> I just comes back. I'm always figuring and uh, <laughs> the, monkey, the monkey mind. <laughs> yeah, I know exactly what that's like. It was from the bar mitzvah ever since then. <laughs> you get initiated into it. It's passed down. The bar Worry about money. <laughs> uh, well, my grandfather would be very happy when he sees someone named Alan Cohen 
This okay. is my podcast. Oh my God, wonderful. He looks like a <laughs> rabbi. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Um, amazing, Alan. You're so genuine and, and uh, love your message. Um, Cody, do you have any other questions for Alan before we let him off into the infinity of his creation for <laughs> August? I, I don't. Thank you so much for being here, Alan. That was just enlightening. And I, I, I do. I love the authenticity and just the natural way that you can speak about this. And, I, and that is the thing I like to see in spirituality because it's, it is, I don't want to use the word masses. It's just, it's in everybody. And we have to speak about it in a way that can connect with everybody, I think, to, yeah. you know, really have it have an impact. And Alan, um, for all those watching, listening, if they want to find more of your work, I know you have a couple of courses coming up uh, in September and December. Can you just tell them, tell us a little bit about them? Uh, I do a life coach training. It's a very intensive, intimate six-month program for people who want to come, want to become professional life coaches or do it more casually. It's a very uh, transformation program for coaches and clients. And then in December, I'm doing a new program called Transformer Training for people who would like to be leaders, healers, and teachers. And it's for people who have a sense that they have something to offer but have not yet developed the confidence or the tools to put it out there. So this is inviting people to step into the shoes of their destiny and walk the path of the transformational agent on the planet Earth. So there will be a five-day retreat in Hawaii this December. Oh, and cool. all this is on my uh, website, alancohen.com, and I would welcome anybody who's listening to our show uh, to join me at either or both of those programs. Wonderful. Nice. And you can find uh, Alan's books on Amazon, I'm sure, and, and everywhere else. They're fantastic. So, uh, Alan, thank you so much for your light, for your wisdom, for your time. We really, really appreciate it. And uh, mahalo for being mahalo. here. Well, you guys, I have to say you guys are doing great things, too. I was listening to some of the podcasts beforehand. It's really high caliber, authentic, from the heart, practical material. So thank you. On your team, thank you for blessing so many people with your good work. Thank well, you. Thank you so much. And thank you, everyone, for listening to Energy Matters. We will see you next time. That's Alan Cohen. And uh, my brother's name is Alan. <laughs> <laughs> that's right thanks alan i know i wanted i wanted to try to keep it into that hour yeah kind of agreed on don't take you too much over you have a book to write yeah i always do it's an ongoing process. Yeah. were you a writer like before you got kind of in the spiritual were, did, were you just interested in writing as a young child uh no not at all um yeah. i was actually on the spiritual path for eight or ten years and you guys got another minute for a really good story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. definitely. So I was um, renting a, a room in a friend's house, and she went to see a psychic named Vincent Ragon. And she came back, and he said, she said, he, I didn't tell him your name, but he said, tell Alan to write. <laughs> really? Oh, wow. Yeah. And, I, you know, when she said it to me, it meant nothing to me. Like, I, I wasn't interested in writing in the least. And I I don't know, six months later, I woke up one morning and this voice said, write. And I didn't want to write, but I I did. And I started just, I didn't know I was writing a book. I was just um, expressing just for fun. Wow. And the process took me over. 
And I did nothing but write for many hours a day for like six months or nine months. Wow. And then the book came out. I knew it was a book at some point. And it was called The Dragon Doesn't Live Anymore. The first book. And it was a series of poetic essays. And I showed it to my friend who had the psychic reading. She said, oh, let me play the tape, the cassette tape from my psychic reading. And she played the tape for me, and she hadn't told me. But in the reading, he said, tell Alan to write. I think a book of poetic essays would be very good. <laughs> so, oh, my gosh. And so he was all over it. Before, I, I, really, I, I, just, I swear, guys, I had no inkling intention to write it. It was a date with destiny, essentially. That is so, so cool. That is well, really that's cool. What me and Cody do during our daytime hours. <laughs> uh, we work one-on-one with clients, do some intuitive reading, healing work, counseling, guiding. You know, when I, real quick story too, uh, when I lived in India, uh, I went to what was called a Nadi Gruha, or uh-huh. a, they call him a palm leaf reader. And someone that I had known yeah. who lived in India for years, like, you got to go see this guy. He's the real deal. I had to make an appointment three months in advance. And uh, he started reading my chart or whatever. I don't even know what he had. I don't know what he had. And he said, oh, you're going to move to a place like Australia and you're going to work on the farm and you're going to be a psychic and a teacher and writing some books. And I was like, I had already purchased my ticket to move to Hawaii to go to the intuitive training school. And I did work. When I got there, I lived and worked on a farm for the first four months to kind of just get grounded, get by. Uh, and it all just kind of was coming true. I was like, thank cool. you, dude in India, for just validating that path. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. That's so great. Cool. So, yeah. It's, it's, the Course in Miracles says that the script is already written. The, the best things that have happened to me have truly been unplanned. There were dates for destiny. And, you know, I, I've ended up teaching in Japan quite a bit and moving to Hawaii and all that. Oh, wow. And, uh, and it was all just lined up when the mom was pregnant, it, it, it gave birth. So, wow. Kind of humbling when you think about that, huh? That is, yeah. That's that is so cool. And yeah, thank you, Alan. We thank really, you. really appreciate I, your time. If I can support you in any way, don't hesitate. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and can we share that last story? I didn't stop recording. So, can we do an after show? Yeah. You want us to cut it where we said goodbye? Whatever you like. You're good? That was a good story. <laughs> and uh, we'll send you the revenue from the podcast. Of- oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Thank you. Okay. Nice day. Cool. Thank you. Thank you. Bye, my friend. You've been listening to the Energy Matters Podcast with Cody Edner and David Gandelman. Brought to you by intuitivevision.net and groundedmind.com. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud.com.